Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. Good morning, Renewal. How are we doing this morning? Good to see all of you. And I have to say, as a preacher, it does feel a little bit better feeling like people are up close and personal. Uh, so I know that that means that y'all will help me preach. Uh, and so Pastor Derek's excited about that. I used to preach to all white people, so I didn't, y'all did a head nod and I knew y'all was with me. <laughs> so I didn't even worry about it. Anyways, black uh, context originally, white context, I figured it out. Now I'm figuring this multi-ethnic thing out together. And so uh, we're going to wrap up our series in Colossians, uh, Colossians chapter 4. And I don't know, I have never done this, uh, but uh, I don't know if you've ever heard a sermon on the final greeting of, the, uh, of a letter of Scripture. And yet we're going to do that today and try to kind of summarize all of what we've been studying throughout the book of Colossians. And so we're going to be in Colossians chapter 4, verses 10 through 18. And so if you would go ahead and pull out your Bible and turn there uh, with me, I do want to say a brief word and, and thanks to all of those who uh, served in our military, our armed forces. Anybody served in our military armed forces uh, in the house? <laughs> we got our boy Troy. Uh, and we want to thank all of those who, uh, who have given their lives uh, in, uh, in service to our country. And, and also, it reminds me uh, this morning of those who lost their lives in Texas um, and, and also in Buffalo the past couple of weeks. And so our hearts are incredibly heavy um, thinking about them and praying for them and asking, uh, Lord Jesus, do something and help us figure out how to do it, how to help how to be your hands and feet in the midst of all of that. And so if you would, go ahead and stand on your feet as we read Colossians chapter 4, verses 10 through 18. And if you would, do me a favor and just when you have it, just shout, I got it. Got it. it reads this way. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church that meets in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting from with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. The very words of Scripture. Amen. You all may be seated. When I first moved to Chicago about 10 years ago, one of my first really good friends actually grew up in Marseille, France. 
Uh, and so uh, he, he uh, and I became close, and like any good friend, uh, you naturally have to tag along for a trip home to see mom, right? Naturally, right? That's, that's the thing that you do, uh, especially with your friend from France. Uh, and so he and I became closer and closer, and, uh, and, uh, and so I tagged along with him on this trip to go visit his mom in Marseille. And one of the interesting things uh, about French culture that, that I noticed that was distinct from American culture is that everything seemed to be done at a slower pace. Uh, as a matter of fact, when I got to the house, uh, his grandparents were there, and we were all sitting outside, and we just had dinner for about three hours. Uh, and, and we just sat and talked uh, and chatted. There was no television on. We weren't centered around the TV to, to watch uh, anything. It, it was just, uh, it was just, we were just being instead of doing. Uh, there was one thing that I, I, I really, uh, I really enjoyed about uh, that culture. As a matter of fact, over the course of time, I, I would ask uh, some of the people who were uh, native uh, to France. What is it that you think is the greatest distinction between American culture and French culture? And they said, Steve, listen, listen, in America, you live to work. In France, we work to live. You, in America, it is about being a human doing. In France, it's about being a human being. I said, oh, I, I think it's some gospel up in that thing. I, I, I'm going to work on that. Uh, I'm going to work on that, Pastor D. Uh, and then over the course of time, one of the things that I noticed about how uh, they would greet one another and say goodbye to one another, because if you think about it, uh, you, you say goodbye to somebody, it's, it's very final, right? All right, Goodbye. Even when we talk on the phone, like, you know, let me go, like, urban colloquialism, let me go, like, me and Pastor D on, on the phone, we get off the phone, all right, one. What does that even mean, first of all? Second of all, it's like, that's very, it's very final. It's very, all right. And we mean more than what we say, and yet there's something about it that feels very black and white. Very, this is over now. And yet in French culture, one of the things that's interesting is that instead of saying goodbye, and forgive me if I pronounce this the wrong way, they say au revoir, au revoir. It means until we meet again, until, until we see each other again. As we get ready to come to our passage this morning, essentially what the Apostle Paul is articulating in his final greeting uh, is this idea of au revoir, until we meet again. And the interesting thing uh, about the specifics uh, within the theological framework is actually in Christ, that is exactly what we will do. Uh, regardless of whether or not the Apostle Paul ever makes his journey to the church at Colossae, which he hopes to do, even though he's in a prison cell in Rome, uh, he hopes to see them again. But in Christ, he knows that goodbye in Christ is not goodbye. It's see you later. And so that, that is kind of the, the, 
the terminology that the Apostle Paul is using, the language that he's using uh, when he's articulating his final thoughts and his final greetings to the people there in Colossae. And uh, if there was sort of a, a big idea that that uh, we could put our arms around uh, this particular passage, it would be, until we meet again, remember. What should we remember, Paul? Remember you're better together. Until we meet again, remember. You began this Christian journey by grace. You'll end this Christian journey by grace. Au revoir. Until we meet again. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your grace and kindness towards us. I thank you for the opportunity to hear your word. God, to sing and celebrate you, even for the opportunity to give back in response to your generosity towards us. Now I pray as we get ready to open up your word that you would open up our eyes to see magnificent things that are in it. Holy Spirit, it is to that end that I am available to you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, when you first begin reading the final greeting or, uh, or any letter of the New Testament's final greeting, you, you can kind of think that the letter uh, is kind of rushing to, uh, to get over with. Or uh, you hear all the names that are articulated and you think it's sort of like somebody who comes up to a Grammy speech, right? And, and you're like, the music starts to come on, they give their Grammy speech. But I want to thank, uh, thank my mom and them, and, uh, and I want to thank Archippus, and I want to thank, uh, thank Epaphras. And, 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 and you can kind of think that, oh, he, he's just rushing naming names to get, to get through what he's got to get through because the music has come on and he's got to finish this thing out, right? Uh, and, and yet what we've seen throughout the entirety of the book of Colossians is actually that every word that the Apostle Paul uses, every name that he articulates is actually incredibly intentional. You see, if you look with me at verse number 10, and I know there's, there's a number of names that are here, so hang in there with me. I promise I'm coming to your neighborhood. Look with me at verse 10. He says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instruction. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Now, this is interesting for a couple of different reasons. First of all, uh, if you've ever read the book of Acts, Barnabas and Paul got sideways over a guy by the name of Mark. Matter of fact, they got so sideways over Mark that they went separate ways. Barnabas wanted to take Mark. Paul was like, no, I don't even like Mark. I'm not doing it with Mark. And yet later on, evidently, in the midst of, uh, of forgiveness and reconciliation, uh, Mark has now come along with Paul while he's in prison, and now he's been a comfort to him. Because we're better together. Um, and, and then what he says is that these are the only men of the circumcision who are with me serving in the kingdom of God, for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. He says, he says verses 12 through 14, Epaphras, Luke, and Demas, he names three other men who he's working with, 
Verse 15, he says, say hello to Nympha and the church in her house. Now, here's the picture that I want you to see. He lists three names of Jewish believers who are serving as a comfort to him. Then he lists Gentile names of three men who have served, uh, who are serving in the ministry with him. Then he says, tell the people in Nympha to, or tell the people in Colossae to greet Nympha, who's the wealthy lady who owns the house where y'all meet to worship. You see, this is actually a, a, a picture of what Paul had been articulating throughout the entirety of the book. One of the main verses in Colossae, an uh, in, in illustration, if you will, of what he said earlier on. There's three Jews that are rolling with me in the kingdom of God. There's three Gentiles that are rolling with me in the kingdom of God. There's women leading in the kingdom of God, and we're all together serving as one in Christ. He says earlier, and the words will come up on the screen, Colossians 3 and verse 11. It says, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised. So in essence, what he says there, these are the only men who are of the circumcision that are part of the uh, service in the kingdom of God with me. These are the Jewish folks. There, 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 uh, there is not Greek and Jew, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Now, here's the thing. You don't lose your ethnicity when you become a follower of Jesus. We still are who God made us to be, and he never intended you and I to be colorblind towards the colors that he made you. He's a master artist. What he makes is beautiful, and he makes it for you to recognize. And yet at the same time, the primary identifier of who you are as a follower of Jesus, the, the identity of who you are as a human being, the priority of that has changed. The, the, uh, you, 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 the very first thing that identifies you is that you're a follower of Jesus. Now watch this. He says... Luke and Demas, which these two names of these two Gentile uh, followers who are helping to serve him, commentators say that these are names that are shortened, uh, that they have other names, which means that probably Luke and Demas are slaves. Can't prove that necessarily. Can't prove that. Uh, and, and, and yet... In the ancient world, if a person was to be a doctor, no wealthy person would get dirty with being a doctor. No, no wealthy person would be a surgeon. Like, that's, that's way too complicated. There's way too much stuff to do and to, and to think about. So in the ancient world, what would happen is, is an incredibly wealthy person who saw one of their slaves who was incredibly smart would send them to get trained to be a doctor. And so sometimes we look at Luke and say, oh man, Luke must have been a part of the, the upper echelon of uh, what it meant to be a Gentile in the Gentile world, in the ancient world. And yet it's possible that Luke was a slave. Now on one end, 
that sort of shakes up our perspective of, of, of how we see uh, American chattel slavery and the history of what slavery has looked like in the United States, in, in the ancient world, there, there were people who were doctors who were slaves. There were people who were slaves that were better off than poor people. And so when the Apostle Paul says in verse 11, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. The point of what he's saying and what he's articulating over and over and over and over again is that the primary identifier in the social structure of the kingdom of God, in the economy of God, it is complete equality. It's interesting that earlier on he talks about how helpful Onesimus is to his work there. Um, if you know anything about the book of Colossians, they sent the letter of Colossians with a book called Philemon. Philemon was a book written to a guy who owned a slave named Onesimus. And the letter was sent back to say, I want you, even though he's a runaway slave, I want you to bring him and take him back as a brother. Now, you, you have to understand that Paul is blowing everyone's social construct. Everyone's social construct is, is completely broken by everything that he just said, just by the names he named. And then he goes on and says, these, these Jews, they, they, have been a, they have been a comfort to me. I'm, I'm in prison, but they've been, they've been a comfort to me. I, I've, been, I've been in a pandemic, shut in the house, but they've been a, a comfort to me. Why? Because we're better together. Now, notice this, that also that Epaphras, uh, who is the guy who started the church in Colossae, is with Paul, and he's going back to uh, Colossae with, with these letters, right? And Epaphras, the scripture says uh, in verse 12, that he is always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. Now, one of the things that we don't get to see with that word struggle is, uh, is the, the force with which the Apostle Paul's words uh, are, are used here. It is, uh, it is in the original language, that word that he used first. He's struggling in his prayers on your behalf. Uh, it, it is actually the, uh, the, uh, the Greek word agonizomai, agonizomai. Uh, it, it is where we get our English word agony from. In essence, what the scripture is saying is that Epaphras agonizes for you. In his prayers. Over and over and over again, he's, uh, he's, he's agonizing over your circumstances and your situation. He's, he's agonizing that you might be, uh, be aware of the will of God for your lives. And I have to confess that I was convicted by this, Pastor Derek, because I couldn't think of the last time that I agonized for somebody to be mature in Christ. And on the other end, I was reminded of the fact 
of what prayer for other people does for your own heart. It gets your eyes off of you and your situation and your struggles and your anxiety and on to other people. Because we're better together. You can't do that in isolation. You can't can't do that uh, at home. You, you, You have to do that you have to do that in community with other people uh, that, that, that you love and that you care about. We need each other. Now, here's the thing that, that, that I, I want all of us to see, and, and this is one of the interesting things. I, I've said this before as it pertains to uh, the Bible and what the Bible assumes. Uh, one of the things that I, I, I really do strongly believe the Bible assumes is that it assumes diversity. So when the Apostle Paul says in verse 11, the primary identifier of all these different people is your identity in Christ, there's an expectation that there's representation of a lot of different people. And I think that the the reality is, is that, man, there's always gonna be a better preacher there's going to be a preacher who can shout you and exegete a passage and explain Greek words and, and apply it to your life and, and get, you, uh, get you a word for you. And yet I am convinced that there's something that God wants to do and there's something that God only does in a community that reflects his kingdom. There's stuff that God is doing in your heart that you don't even fully understand because you're in a multi-ethnic church. There's spiritual formation happening in your soul that you don't understand and maturity happening in your soul that you don't fully understand because you're in a multi-ethnic church. Because that's what the Bible assumes. If you're in a space for it, we ought to be a part of it. And I love all types of different churches, but I'm just saying that there is something that God does that's different from I just got a, that preacher was amazing. There's something else that God does that's just different than, man, the worship music was off the chain. The children's ministry is is killing it, right? All of that stuff we ain't going to be the best at. I mean, DeMond's amazing, right? But... The reality is, <laughs> praise the Lord. But at the same time, when you go to check off the boxes of all the things that you want in a church, oh man, they got a great preacher, they got a great worship, they got great children's ministry. There's something else that God is doing. There's something else that God, that those aren't the only things that God uses to shape and form us into the image of his son. That's incredibly powerful in ways we don't even fully understand. We're better together. That's what Paul, that's what Paul is saying. He, I got three Jews who, who have been a comfort to me. I'm sending back these three uh, Greek dudes. And I, I want you to say hello to the, the woman who, who leads in the church uh, in Colossae, Nympha, where all of y'all meet. She owns the building, right? 
There, there's something about that that shapes and molds, molds us more into the image of, of Jesus. We're, we're better together. And, man, one of the things that, that I'm convinced of in, uh, in, you know, for us as a church, we're, we're shifting out of the season of, of small groups and shifting in uh, to this season of Renewal Summer. And, uh, and I am convinced there's some nights, like week, weekday nights, that I'm like, yo, I just want to chill. Like, I just want to, I just want to, I just want to, like, sit and look at the wall. I have a 10-month-old, right? <laughs> I, got, I got done playing with him all day, and, or I come home from work and, and got to play with him all day and figure out what, what you're crying about, son. You know what I mean? And, and, and sometimes I just want to look at the wall. And yet at the same time, even when I don't feel like doing certain things, there's this need in the human soul. And the pandemic has kind of like caused us to be antisocial and, and, and keep to ourselves. And I pop into church and pop out of church and I see y'all, you know what I mean? All of this stuff. And, and yet the, the thing about what scripture is teaching us is that if you're in a tough time, if you're in a good time, if whatever the case may be, we were made for community. We're better together. Now my small group leader gonna call, Steve, where you been at, Steve? And, and, and I, I have to, I'm saying that I have to remind myself this sometimes when all I wanna do is sit down and look at the wall. And, and, and so we got all this renewal summer stuff coming up and if you're new, it's like this incredible place for, for you to just kind of get plugged in and, and, uh, and start to meet people and, 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 and enjoy fellowship and, and different things. And as we close out, for those of us who are in small groups, I want to encourage us, we're better together. This is a part of what God is using to shape and mold us into the image of his son. So I want to encourage us to participate in that. But, but not only does Paul say that we're better together as he's signing off, uh, I, until we meet again, or why? Uh, but then he says that the Christian journey begins by grace, and it ends by grace. Now, notice how he closes his letter in verse 18. It says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Now, it would have been typical for someone to dictate a letter and then sign off in their own hand in their final remarks, right, in the ancient world. Uh, and then when the Apostle Paul says, remember my chains, it, it's, it's as if he's saying, remember I'm in prison, so y'all keep praying for me. And don't be in, ashamed of my imprisonment. So keep me lifted. And then he finishes off by saying, grace be with you. Now, it might seem like, uh, like Paul is, is signing off sort of this random phrase, you know, all the best, uh, or sincerely Paul, uh, like the way that we end our, uh, our emails, and yet what we've been saying is that he's really incredibly intentional with everything that he says. He says, grace be with you. As a matter of fact, the opening remarks that the Apostle Paul uses at the very beginning of the book of Colossians, uh, after he introduces himself and greets the people uh, who he's writing to, he says this in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 2. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father. 
So the beginning of the book, you got into this thing by grace. The ending of the book, grace be with you. The beginning of the book, grace to you. The ending of the book, grace be with you. And what he's saying in this letter, I, I, I don't think that we can just glance over. It, it, is, it is the very essence of what makes Christianity distinct from every other world religion. It is, it is the very essence of what makes Christianity Christianity. And, and as we wrap up the book of Colossians together, we, we've been rehearsing uh, the tagline of keeping Jesus at the center or Jesus at the center. And, uh, and, and, and in chapter 1 and verses 15 through 20, and the words will come up on the screen, what the Apostle Paul articulated at the beginning of the book in Colossians, that, that Jesus is the centerpiece of all civilization, that, that Jesus is supreme over every area of possibility of rule and authority, whatever context of ancient uh, perspective that you have of how the world works and who's in control and who's in power and how universes go together and stars and, and, and everything, how everything works. He says that Jesus uh, is supreme even over that. And in the midst of a pandemic, we, we, we told ourselves together that, yo, we need to remind ourselves of this. That Jesus is supreme over, I know you got funky. I know uh, so-and-so was in the hospital. I know that people have passed away. I know that stuff has gone wrong. And yet at the same time, he says in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created. He made it all in heaven and on earth. In the stuff that you can see, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or, or authorities, any power that has power in any area that is an area in existence, in every realm that there is a possibility of someone having power. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Everything, everywhere has to bow their knee to Jesus. Chapter 2 really captured the clarity of the specifics of the false teaching that was going on that prompted the Apostle Paul to write the book of Colossians. And if this is your first time uh, with us, let me backtrack a little bit and give you uh, some perspective on what was going on that prompted him to write this letter. The church uh, was probably made up of mostly non-Jewish folks in Colossae, but the false teachers who came into Colossae, they had uh, this background in Judaism. And so they were teaching this kind of uh, mashup belief that uh, that 
that pointed people back to some of these Old Testament practices uh, that would have been like, make sure you practice the Sabbath day a certain way. Make sure you practice these new moon festivals and, and don't eat this, and, and, but, but eat that and, uh, and this, that, and the other. And so they, they introduced this, uh, this concept of practicing these Old Testament laws and rituals for the sake of gaining acceptance and superiority as uh, spiritual people. And yet Paul says in response to that in verse 17, that all of those practices of chapter 2 and verse 17, these are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. In other words, all of those Old Testament practices, they were all pointing to the person and work of Jesus. Why? Because he's the supreme ruler of all creation in human history. These false teachers were saying, oh, Christ is cool to begin with, but you really, if you really want to be spiritual, we have these spe this special knowledge and experiences that, that will get you there. And Paul says, you, you want to know this, what the secret is? I, I realize that, that other people say, they, I got the secret, right? If you want to lose 30 pounds, just click on my Instagram post and I'll show you how to get your metabolic rate. And so you, you, can, uh, you can get ketosis. And then all of a sudden at the end of your ketosis, you're going to be 100%, uh, uh, you, you're going to experience the life and life to the full, right? And he says, you want to know what the secret of life is. You want to know where life and life to the full can be found? He says in verse 26 and 27 of Colossians chapter 1, the mystery hidden for ages and generations. What's the secret? But now revealed to, to his saints. To him God chose to make known the great, how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of the mystery. What is the mystery, Paul? Christ in you, the hope of glory. He says, he says essentially in chapter 2, it has nothing to do with keeping the rules. It, it has nothing to do with checking the boxes and, and in order to appease God, dotting the I's and crossing the T's and practicing all the things that you need to practice. Uh, that those things literally have nothing to do with Christianity. It's the distinguishing factor of Christianity is that we need grace. And that grace is experienced through the person and work of Jesus. The mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He says in chapter 2 that, that this, this legalism, this, this idea of performing to gain acceptance is, is a worldly construct. It is a worldly idea. That, that, that's how the world works, and that's how you and I then approach God because the world works that way. That's how we expect God to work. And Paul's point is that he never worked that way in the first place. And yet because that's all you know, perform to gain acceptance, that's how you approach him. And we said that legalism is, is actually, uh, this idea of performance to gain acceptance is actually to us what water is to a fish. And so the point that Apost the Apostle Paul saying uh, grace be with you or grace to you and grace be with you as he bookends all of what he has just said is that you forget. So over and over and over and over and over again, I have to remind you of the centrality of grace. So when Paul says, 
Seek the things that are above where Christ is in chapter 3 and verse 3. For you have died, he says, uh, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. He's saying something that is the distinguishing factor of Christianity. When we placed our faith in Jesus, we got united to Jesus. Jesus lived perfectly. Jesus died in my place and for my sins. Through faith in Jesus, God sees us as he sees Jesus. We brought nothing to the table. No amount of performance could make us more acceptable. No amount of failure could make us less less acceptable to God. And we don't have to categorize all of the things that we do and look at other people and say, all right, I'm doing better than them. We got in by grace. We'll continue by grace. The rest of chapter three and four show us how our lives should look in light of the grace that we have received. And uh, theologically, when Paul is saying we've been hidden with Christ in God, he's communicating this idea of union with Jesus. So in other words, When we placed our faith in Jesus, we got united to Jesus, and God sees us the way he sees his son. We get that, right? But oftentimes what happens in our hearts and in our minds is that we think Jesus gains our pardon, uh, but we earn our benefits package. Uh, Jesus Jesus acquires uh, acquires our, uh, our entrance fee, but we earn... Uh, we earn our retirement fund. You follow what I'm saying? And, and what the Apostle Paul is saying is that that ain't the way you got into this, and that's not the way that you're going to finish in this. Because how you got into it was solely on the basis of your union to Jesus. It's his work. It's his perfection. It's his sacrifice. It's his bodily resurrection. It's his work. And so the way to grow in our faith is not to say, let me earn the benefits package. It's to lean in to the magnitude of what he's actually accomplished on my behalf. That Christ is in me and I am in him solely on the basis of faith. Jesus Christ is the grace that God provided for you. And so he says in chapter 3 and verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And and so in light of that grace that you have received now, uh, we must must act like we receive some grace. We got to put on as, as people who are beloved by God solely on the basis of grace, compassion, Kindness, humility, meekness, and all of these are characteristics of the one that you put on, the one who you are in, and the one who is in you. And so, in essence, he's saying, put on Jesus. Put on Jesus. Put on Jesus. Put on the characteristics of Jesus. Lean into the union that you've received by grace. And so, Paul starts off the conversation saying, grace to you. And then he finishes the conversation saying, grace be with you. And the thing that he wants you and I to understand, as he says, until we meet again, you began by grace. 
you're going to finish this thing by grace. As a matter of fact, the very fact that you think that you can earn favor with God is in essence more an illustration of how sinful your heart is than it is about how obedient you are. Au revoir. Remember, you're better together. Remember, you began by grace. You're going to end by grace. Derek and I have a friend who ran the 400-meter relay at the Ohio State University. And, uh, and he loved to remind us uh, that he ran track at the Ohio State University. I don't know about you, uh, but I've been to Columbus. Uh, and ain't not, not, not much to look at there in Columbus. Uh, but anyways, uh, he, he, loved, he loved to tell us uh, about how to run the 400-meter relay. And, and he, uh, he had these batons in his room. He, he, was, he was my roommate in seminary. Uh, and he would show us, you know, obviously he had to show us all his pictures and stuff like that. Uh, but he would show us how to hand off the baton and how he would stretch out the baton, how you, how you would receive the baton. And, and he would explain to us all the details of this 400-meter relay. And, and one of the things that I thought was super interesting, Pastor Derek, is that in the 400-meter relay, you actually end the race in the same place where you began the race. So there was a lot that happened in between time. There was a lot of passing of batons. There was a, there, there was a lot uh, of energy that, that was exuded. Uh, and, and yet at the same time, the, the goal of the 400-meter relay is to be the first team who gets back to the place where they began. And it took a team. And yet at the same time, the team who wins the race is the fastest team to get back to where they began. That's what I think Christianity is. I think Christianity is a running over and over and over again to realize I need grace. And the quicker you're able to accept that, the quicker you're able to realize that, the quicker you're able to look back at the incredible nature of the fact that the one who created everything in the world that exists stepped down into humanity to do something that you could never do for yourself. That not only does he accomplish your pardon, but he accomplishes your benefits package too. You want to know how you mature in Christ? You want to know about, it's not to get to one place and then finish in another. It's to be the fastest person to get back to the place where you began. Au revoir. Remember, until we meet again, we're better together. Until we meet again, remember, 
you began by grace, you're going to end this thing by grace. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your kindness towards us, God, for the opportunity just to hear your word and be reminded of what makes the faith that we have in Jesus so distinct. Um, And yet it is such a foreign concept to us, God, that we struggle to get it. And so, Father, I I pray even as uh, the Apostle Paul is articulated in chapters 3 and 4, how we are to be uh, in response, how we are to live, the way that we should treat one another, the way uh, that we should treat our mom and dad, the way that we should... uh, that we should treat our children the way that we should treat our wives and our, uh, our husbands, the way that we should treat uh, all of the people who are a part of our lives. God, would that be an, an incredible reflection of your grace? Would it be grace-fueled obedience um, to live and love other people? Remind our hearts, God, when we feel like we don't uh, really get it, that we're better together that we started by grace. We're going to finish this thing by grace. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Thanks again for tuning into our podcast today. I pray that it was a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. I look to see you at one of our services at 9 or 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Take care. God bless you.